Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys all look great. I can't see you, so I just say that. Uh, you're coming into focus. No, um, my name is Pastor Derek. I want to welcome you to Connect. I hope you guys are glad to be in church today, starting kind of our year out fresh. And how many got some goals for the new year? Anybody start some new goals? All right. How many already messed up already? <laughs> okay, yeah. Too many brownies or whatever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, we're all working on it together. Amen. A um, couple, uh, first of all, things I want to do. I want to say hello to our online and cable audience. Can everybody in the house just give a big welcome to everybody that's watching us online? Hey, yeah. Really cool. Um, I told you I, I didn't do this in the last service, so you guys are special. I say that in the last service, too. Um, but uh, there's, um, there's, this, there's this connection we've made online where uh, there are, are literally thousands now of people who are listening to us in Pakistan. And uh, I have a friend that I've cultivated a relationship with, Pastor John. I, I can't tell you all the details about him uh, without his permission because of the dynamics there. But he told me it's approximately 1,800 people have gotten saved listening to our videos in Pakistan. Isn't that incredible? And uh, he can't be here on a Sunday, but he's actually coming to visit me. Uh, on, at the end of this month, so we're actually going to be meeting in person. I don't know what that means, but uh, he's flying to see his sister in Pennsylvania and PD and Connect staff. Is that incredible? Just from this little video connection. So I just thought when we're saying hello, you guys got to say it like you mean it because there's some people out there that are like really, you know, hungry. And so there, there are people that are walking four hours to go watch a pre-recorded video service of Connect. And some of us sometimes have a hard time getting out of bed. You know what I'm saying? So this is just, it's a different paradigm. Can you handle that slap in the face? <laughs> it's like tickle, tickle, punch. <laughs> That's what that felt like right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, one more, or two more announcements actually. One, I wanted to highlight Connect News because uh, we have a Dream Team celebration coming up where we look back and we look forward. Listen, if you're on the Dream Team, don't miss it, don't miss it. We are going all out for you. Uh, it's just one of these fun events. It's a semi-formal, Sheraton Tara, great food. I actually hired some entertainment off the street in Boston. Just hang on. You know those street entertainers like in Faneuil Hall? And I made a connection with one of these guys, and he's absolutely phenomenal musician. He's going to be coming out. We have great entertainment. We're going to up it from last year. The pastor will not be roasted this year. <laughs> I'll have you know. But that which roasted me shall be roasted. So you don't want to miss it, because if you were there last year and you saw who roasted me, he will be the one being roasted this year. Okay, so he lost a bet, and so there it is. Anyway, Dream Team event, uh, you don't want to miss that. If you're not on the Dream Team, hey, get in our Next Step class. It's actually going on right now next door. It happens every single Sunday during second service. Don't miss that. And then you can jump in on what's really God is doing in and through our church by giving to other people and serving other people. And then the second thing I wanted to say is going to sound like a real switch. Um, and that is, my wife and I, you know, we've been, with many of us, praying and fasting the first part of the year. That's how we start our year. And uh, we kind of sp spend time, more time with the Lord, overnourishing kind of a little bit and our spirit and just making sure we're setting kind of our priorities right. And one of the things that just keeps popping up in our conversation is um, kind of uh, all the sickness and infirmity that's around us, from mental uh, to, uh, to physical and uh, I'll just suffice it to say that as your pastor, I got a little bit, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit righteously indignant. That would be the appropriate word uh, for church here. And so um, I want to really go on the offensive 
against all of this, and so it's just been kind of building up. And, and so um, next Sunday night, 5.30, we have our all-access worship night. That's where we culminate the fast. Everybody comes out. If you want to see a charged electric service, come when people have been praying for 21 days every day. Uh, it's, it's special. But I'm asking you to come to the service with whatever's going on in your life or bring people with whatever's going on in their life. If you need of a miracle, a healing this is going to be a healing and miracle service. So we're going to lay hands on people that are sick. The Bible tells us that we should lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so we believe in the laying on of hands. And so I'm just, I'm praying for it. It's going to be a special service. I believe there's going to be a special outpouring of healing and miracles. Is anybody with me in the house? And so let's get after it, okay? And let's believe God for that. Invite some people to that. You know, if you got a cold that day, show up that day. If you, if, I don't, whatever it is, from cancer to a canker sore, we're going to curse it in Jesus' name. We're going to see people healed. Amen? All right. So that might have freaked some people out that are new today, but uh, there you go. Um, you can get your worship guide out and you can follow along. Uh, this is going to be uh, a doozy of a service, but let me uh, try to unpack uh, what happened last week when we started. The series is called Text, and basically God has sending, sent a message to us through his word, and, and uh, last week we, we really talked about uh, basing our life or building our life on God's word. And one of the ways that we uh, do that, first of all, is really being able to separate um, from what we were talking about last week. And these are kind of big words, they're Greek words, but logos and rhema. Logos level living is when we're just opening the word, it's just written pages, uh, it's just a book. Whereas the rhema level of living is when we receive something from God, have like a, a eureka moment, an aha, like you get it. It's something that moves from that, and, it is, and, and faith is accompanied by that, and we see that which the word speaks of actually come into fruition. The Bible has the power for its own fulfillment. The words of God are spirit, and they are life to us. And so God wants you to be able to live not at just an intellectual level, uh, just in your mind. He wants actually to transform you from the inside out. He actually wants, he, he will always accompany his word with power. His word is power words. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that his word is living, what? And active. And so we always say, for it to be living and active, you have to live and act on it. You can't just talk about it. You can't just read it. You want to apply it to your life, and then you want to put it out in your life. Can I have an amen? So that's what we've been talking about. Matthew 7, 24 says, everyone who hears words like that, God's words, and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house upon the rock. I want you guys, when the storms of life come, and they will, 2016 might have been a rough year for you. I have an announcement to make. 2017 can be a rough year for you too. There will be storms. There's going to be winds. There's going to be problems. Pastor, could you be more positive? I'm positive there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of storms, and a lot of issues in 2017. But the people who sustain it, who work through it, who overcome it, which we're called to do, are the people whose life is built on God's word. That's what Matthew 7 is telling us, and we need to learn how to put his word into practice. Amen? So next week, we're going to talk about trusting God's word so you can really lean on it. The fourth week, I'm going to talk about how to study God's word. I can't wait for that one. I've been working on that one. But the one I've been working on a lot is the one you're going to see today, and we're going to get into that. It's called Understanding the Bible. Turn to your neighbor and say, help me understand. Oh, you guys didn't say it like I said it. You got to say it like I said it. Help me understand. Okay? 
Because I, I want you to be so in love with the Bible. I want you to love it. I want you to learn it. But most importantly, we, we want to be living the word of God. And because, because it's, it, it literally can change your life from the inside out if our life is built on his word. Now, one of the things that I was trying to find is in trying to teach on this particular subject is some kind of parallel. And I was telling Gretchen this, but I was talking, you know, with my wife. And this is kind of where it, it all emerged. I don't want you to have an understanding of the Bible that's just all up here in your head. I want it, I want it to be something that comes from your heart through your head and then into your life. You know, the, the cycle, you know, really of sin is, is thought, word, deed. You know, but the, the cycle that gets the, the right deeds out of our life is it comes from our heart, it's out of our mouth, and then it affects the world in which we live. And so we want to get the right cycle. In order for that to happen, we have to have a deep understanding of God's word. But anything that you under, begin to really, really understand, you'll always love more. The more you understand something or someone, the more you love it. Is, there, is everybody tracking with me? I, I've been married 25 years. 25 years ago, I loved my wife. I, I still love her in case she's showing up anytime soon. Uh, so I said that in past tense. Don't pass that on. Uh, but I loved my wife, but I didn't understand her very well when we first got married. I didn't understand this woman. And some of you, 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 some of you ladies, you know you can be hard to understand sometimes. You know, and so, so the Bible says to men, deal with your wives according to knowledge. And I'm like, I'm like, God, give me some knowledge. You know, I'm dropping in. You know, where's that cable connection? I need it. No. But, um, but I, I'm learning, though, as I grow in relationship with my wife and understand my wife, I come to love my wife more. In fact, uh, one of the things I've learned about my wife is that this is particularly true uh, when she's watching football, is that she's about 51% female, 49% male. And uh, I say that affectionately. Um, but, but, but on commercials, she gets up, this little, you know, little itty-bitty, you know, it's like, a, it's like a toothpick, you know, bouncing around, you know what I mean? And she wants to pop, punch, poke, you know, stoke, whack, smack, pinch something and someone, and who do you think that is? It's me. I don't know what it is. And so she's just, come on, come on, come on, come on. And she starts hitting me, smacking me, knocking me around. And so I'm just confessing, I'm abused. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And she's not here. And she's the third service is when I'm really going to get abused. But anyway, but, but what I've learned in 25 years is I can't do it back. Right, ladies? Right? Right? And so I'm like, huh, at some point it hurts. And so when you hurt, you want to hit back. And you can't. And you can't because I'm dealing my wife according to knowledge. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, sometimes I tell him, like, honey, you know when Hunter, our dog, you get him all riled up and get him all excited. And he's just rah, 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 And then all of a sudden you say, stop it, Hunter. No, you can't bite. <laughs> That's how I feel. So, so we both have to understand each other. It reminds me of the guy who was walking on the beach in California, and, and he's kind of depressed, and he's kicking through the sand. He's kind of upset. And all of a sudden, he kicks, and he hits something, and he pulls it up, and it's a lamp. And he's like dusting off the sand, dusting off the sand. Poof, a genie comes out. I know, this is church. You're like, what? And, and, and this genie comes out and says, I'd like to grant you one wish, any wish, one wish. What would you like? And the guy's like, well, I didn't expect this. He goes, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. And, and I'm not going to get on a plane. I'm afraid to go on a plane. So my wish is that, Jeannie, you would create a bridge from California all the way to Hawaii so that I can go to Hawaii. 
This genie's like, you're out of your mind. I mean, do you realize what you're asking? Do you realize the steel, you know, and, and, the, and the manpower and the labor and the rebar and, and, and the concrete that have to be poured, all that kind of stuff? I re- are you sure you want to do it? I really think you should maybe think of something else. So the husband quickly says, okay, well, then help me understand my wife. The genie says, would you like one lane or two to Hawaii? <laughs> anyway, that's funny. I don't care what you say. So we're doing a relationship series next, and we've got a marriage retreat coming up. You can jump on, on uh, but uh, we'll get to that stuff later on. But the point is, if you could understand the Bible, you could fall in love with God more. And so I, this, this message is to try to help you understand it. And so I'm going to give you like a 30,000-foot view, overview of the scriptures from Old Testament to New. And then I'm going to flip it, and I'm going to give you the plot, the storyline of the Bible as well, so you can understand. Is everybody with me? So prepare yourself. Over the next eight hours, I'm going to do that, okay? Is everybody ready? Let's take notes. All right. So here, take notes. You write this down. The, the word Bible means book, book. It comes from... Uh, the Greek word biblios, which is actually stems from a Greek city, uh, biblios, and it was actually at one time the number one importer of papyrus, where you get paper manufacturing, the, the printing of things took place in the city. Uh, so book, biblios, is, that's where that connection's made. But this isn't just a, a, a little B book. This is capital B book. Added to that, we have what we call the holy book or the holy Bible. Holy in the Greek is hagios. It means, it means set apart. So this is a book like no other book. When we talk about the Bible, the holy Bible, I actually have a very old Bible in my office back here. If you guys want to come check it out sometime, please don't go all at once. Um, but the, the holy, it's, it's the holy It's set apart. It's like no other book on the planet. It's the most read book in human history, the most translated book in human history. Uh, It's the bestseller in human history. All of time is marked by the Holy Bible. Come on, somebody. This book is completely different than any other book. And though it has been attacked and ridiculed and uh, attempted to be undermined over the centuries, it still remains. It still remains the Word of God. It will last forever and ever and ever according to Scripture. Amen? And so uh, next week, actually, I'm going to bring a little bit of information on how to defend the scriptures, the accuracy or the inerrancy of the scriptures and, and the infallibility, that sort of thing. So you can kind of uh, have your own conversation tools, some simple, it's a big word, apologetics for, for people's attempt to discredit the scriptures. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Let me give you one little teaser to whet your appetite. This is in your notes. It was written, the Bible was written over 1,600 years. So the entire Bible was written over 1,600 years. Most people don't realize that. And it was in over 12 different countries it was written, three different continents uh, by people from all different walks of life, which we'll reference in a second, three different languages, and it had 40 different writers. Okay, so why is this so important, Pastor D? Well, because how could something over that span of time, this many people, that many places, come out to be exactly the same in theme, exactly accurate in messaging over and over and over again for 1,600 years? 
How is that possible? It would be understandable for one person to write a book and it have uniformity. In fact, if you were to read the Quran, which of course was written um, by Muhammad, one person, you would understand the uniformity of that book. If you were to read uh, Analects of Confucius, it was written by one person, you would understand. If you were to read the writings of Buddha, you would understand that. But this is written by 40 different people all over the planet over a 1,600-year period of time, and they didn't even know each other, and yet... The uniformity of the scriptures is unparalleled. It was written by poets, prophets, farmers, scholars, kings, uh, soldiers, priests, doctors, businessmen. It was written in caves, in palaces. It was written in uh, prisons and deserts, on ships. Uh, uh, you know, if I didn't say the prisons, it's literally the most amazing, amazing thing. When you put it in context, you realize this is an absolutely incredible book. How did they come up with the same story over that span of time, 40 different people? The reason being, and this is in your notes, because it was written by one author, and that is God. There was only one author, although there were 40 different writers. 2 Timothy 3.16 says about itself, all scripture is God-breathed. It came from God, and it helps us in all aspects of our life. It's profitable, helpful, useful, teaching, instructing, rebuking, correcting, so that every single person can be effective in their life. In other words, the word works. Hashtag the word works works. It'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your destiny and purpose. It'll affect your, your finances. It'll renew your mind and the things, the neuroplasticity of your mind. I just blew somebody's mind, but it can be changed and shaped. Science tells us that, but the word's been telling us that for centuries. It's true. I remember not feeling qualified for one of the jobs that I had, all the jobs that I had. I've never felt qualified initially. I remember getting out of the business world, working in Christian education as a principal of a Christian school, our Christian school, and I was 24 years old as the headmaster. Now, my wife is the principal of the school now, and I call her the headmistress. <laughs> hubba hubba. Anyway, uh, but um, when I was the headmaster, I was young, everybody was old me, I completely was, I felt so unqualified for this position based on my education and upbringing and things like, not upbringing, but my education. I remember sitting at, in, in the admissions process. People were being interviewed to come into school. I was interviewing them, but they would look at me, and as a result of, of the, what they saw, this little young whippersnapper who looked like a gym teacher, uh, not, no offense against that, but I was a principal, they would, they would ask me questions like, what qualifies you to be a principal, you know, sir? And I would be like, well, I spent a lot of time in the office, <laughs> principal's office, anyway. You guys are getting that now? You're getting that. But I was trying to defuse them. But listen, but only a short period of time after in that position and accepting that role did I come to realize that though professional development is of some value, personal growth was the most significant uh, factor in the success of the role in which I was in. Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, the fact that I grew up and every day of my life, my dad would minister devotions through the word of God before I went to school. I never realized how significant that was to be raised and trained on the word of God. I never realized how significant it was to sit like you in the, in, in the seats and listen to the word and sit under the word and how much that would affect my life. I never realized how important it was to be mentored and discipled by certain people at different stages and phases of my life. In other words, the success that I've experienced or the, or the, the ability to be an influence and impact was directly proportionate to my personal growth, which was directly proportionate to sitting and receiving the word of God. That deserves a way better amen. I don't think you guys understand. So I hope you know the word works. The word works. 
Amen? That's why you want to get into small group, because what you receive here, you work it out in the laboratory of life with other people. You hear a principle from God's word, you know, about finding your purpose or freedom in Christ, soon the sun sits free, is free indeed. What does that mean? Talk it out with other people. Work it out with other people that are still trying to find freedom just like you. Learn from people who have had freedom. It's in that context, in that safety of that, that you begin to find yourself freedom, find yourself overcoming some of the things that you're struggling with. That's what God intended for you. The word works when we live and act on it. Amen? So... All right, so this is something that I didn't know that I, you maybe didn't know, and I, knew, I know from last service people didn't know as well. But the Bible, when you read it, is not written in chronological order. So when you go to read in the book of Genesis and you go all the way through, it's not written in chronological order. The Bible is set up by types of books. It is ordered by types of books. And so I want to give you an overview of the Old Testament and the New Testament rather quickly. So the first five books of the Old Testament, the book, the, the book, Bible, is broken into two sections. Old Testament, so we have OT, everybody tracking? And this is, some of you this is real easy, some of you this is new. Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, total of 66 books in the entire Bible. The Old Testament, the first five books are the book of the law. These were written by Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? In this particular five books called the Pentateuch, sometimes referred to, you see the story of creation, a very fundamental part. Uh, Adam and Eve show up. You see the fall of man. Uh, you see the story of uh, Abraham, the father of our faith, and the sacrifice of Isaac, and the importance of trusting God. You see uh, the, 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 the story of Moses, and and uh, the, the whole Exodus experience and the deliverance of God's people. And there's a symbolic aspect to that. Moses was a type of Christ and Israel was like the church. And God s delivered us from bondage. And then we had to get the bondage out of us. You'll see that revealed in the New Testament. Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai. He receives the Ten Commandments there. And then he, we get instructions and we begin to move towards the promised land. And right up until uh, we're, we're in the wilderness and right up until we're getting ready to go in the promised land is the end of the first five books. And that's where history, the history section starts. Joshua is the first book in the history section. There are 12 books. How many know Joshua? You know, he's the guy that, that uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls of... All right, some of you Baptists know what I'm talking about out there. <laughs> the rest of you are like, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> that was crazy. All right. So Joshua, all the way through the book of Esther, so you got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, that's the last three books of this history section. This is kind of where, you know, uh, uh, Israel is in, is in, is in uh, Babylon, Israel's kind of uh, uh, in, in trouble once again, and, and so at the end of this particular section is really the end of the Old Testament. You're like, well, wait a minute, there's way more books. Yeah, but these books are actually all inserted into history. So when you read the poetic books, the five books, you read the prophetic books, they're all part of history. You're not reading them chronologically, but you could, but your Bible's not set up that way. So anytime you're reading history and then later read the poetic books or the prophetic books, it's all a part of history. 
The poetic books are made up of five different books. You have Job, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We all like those books, especially Song of Solomon. All the men like that. Anyway, that's a funny, you'll get that later. Uh, but when, when you see and read these different things, again, they're part of it. So if you're, you're reading in 2 Samuel in history about David, and, and he goes out onto his porch, and he looks upon a beautiful woman, and he stumbles and falls and into temptation. He calls him. The whole thing happens. He commits adultery. It's an incredible story, 2 Samuel 11. In Psalm 51, you can see his confession. Oh, God. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not their Holy Spirit from me. He realized, uh, verse 4, against you only have I sinned. That's the psalm that's connected to the historical section right here in this part of the Bible. Is everybody tracking with me? And that's how all these things fit into that section. Then you have the prophetic books. There are 17. There are five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. The major prophets aren't taller, bigger, larger. No, they're just longer. Okay, and the minor prophets aren't short. People from the land of Lilliput, no, they're just smaller sections. I'm just trying to keep you guys with me. And so you have you have in that particular section the five major prophets: Isaiah uh, through Daniel, for example. Daniel is a very prophetic book, hugely prophetic book, really cool book actually. And then the minor prophets, twelve of them. You have Hosea. An amazing story about redemption all the way to Malachi. Malachi has instructions for family and for finance and for faith in that final book. But it's not the, it's the, that Malachi book is not really the end. The end is here. These are all inserted into history. And then after that, we have the silent years. Are you guys tracking with me out there? Okay. And so in the middle of the Old Testament, we have the 400 silence years. This is basically where no prophet spoke or wrote. Nothing was really taking place there, inspired, uh, and that was affecting what we would see or read. And, but during that time, there were certain things that were happening, which I can't camp on. But, but you know, uh, the, there were scholars that took all that was recorded in Hebrew, and they put it into Greek. And that's what we call the Septuagint. There were 70 different writers that made that happen. Uh, during this time... Uh, uh, the Israelites were dealing with all different types of persecution from all different types of people. Uh, you know, Nehemiah, some of you guys remember that during the history books. He had returned to Jerusalem and he was rebuilding the wall. And there was, he, was, he was, you know, under King Xerxes. You remember the Greek conquest. Some of you guys from history know of Alexander the Great. That was all during this time. And then it leads up to somewhere around 65 B.C. to, to the, the birth of Christ is the Roman conquest. And so the most common one we know during the 400 silent years is the Roman conquest because that's where really the story of the New Testament begins. And in the New Testament, basically we have uh, the Gospels. Gospel means good news. Everybody say good news. The good news was Jesus shows up. He comes from heaven to earth in the form of a baby. He grows up. He grew in stature and favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. And then he began to live a sinless life, a perfect life among man. Eventually gives his life for, Christ, for, for all of us. Dies on the cross. Resurrected. And then ascends. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Hold the horse while I get on. That's how I used to remember it. When I used to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would read Matthew and I'd be like, oh, that's a cool story. Then I'd read Mark and I'm like, wait a second, that's the same story. Because it's four accounts of the same story. So these are called or referred to as the synoptic gospels. So when you're reading that, you can get confused if, you're, if you didn't know that. They're all four accounts from four different people. At the end of the gospels, Jesus ascends into heaven. And then he bestows his authority upon his disciples. And they launch the church of Jesus Christ. There's one book, one history book in the New Testament. That's the book of Acts. Everybody say Acts. I want to ask you a question. No, it's not that. Okay, so 
The, the book of Acts is our New Testament history book. We actually believe it doesn't end. It continues. We feel like we are still living in the book of Acts. We, mo- we, are, we modeled and are inspired by the New Testament church in the book of Acts. The same things that happened there, we try to apply and live in the here and now at Connect Community Church and, and churches all over the world. The book of Acts is a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And during this particular season... Churches are spreading from this one man's resurrection. This is when Christianity really, its inception, from this one man's resurrection, the story is being told all over the whole planet. This is where churches are formed all over the world. And Paul's missionary journeys, and some of you are familiar with that, he starts churches all over the place. And then, at the, so at the end of this history section, that's where it ends. These, but the Bible doesn't end. There's still 21 letters in one prophetic uh, uh, book as well. These, again, are all inserted into history, just like these two are inserted into history here. So everything that you read in these letters is all a part of history. So there's 21 epistles. Epistle is just a fancy word for a letter from the book of Romans all the way to Jude. Romans is like a a treatise of the Christian faith. You want to understand Christianity, you want to understand salvation, you want to understand uh, life in the spirit, you read the book of Romans. Romans is phenomenal. Jude's the smallest book, I think, in the New Testament. It only has one chapter in like 20 verses. So in these letters, we receive doctrine and instruction for successful living in life. That's why we do a lot of messages that connect from these letters, because they were left for us to help us live as the New Testament church. So though this is history, we're still in that history right now as a church. And these letters are helping us do this. Is everybody with me? And then the final book, everybody probably can guess what that book is. That's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. That annoys me when people say that. Just saying that. I had to get that out. So it's Revelation. The, the apostle John received a revelation. He received a vision from God while on the Isle of Patmos. He's actually being uh, uh, in solitary confinement for his faith. And Jesus himself shows up and gives John an incredible, powerful vision. It's all related to the last days the end of the world, and eternity. That's what that whole book's about. Pretty complicated book. Um, But that's kind of a picture, an overview of the entire Bible. So you just got like four hours worth of stuff right there. That's how it's broken out. Um, But now I want to give you a picture, what I would call the mirror image of what's happening here, the real story behind that. And so I want to give you the plot of the Bible. Everybody tracking? Isn't this awesome? (laughs) Woohoo! Okay, I gotta come back up. All right, so, so let me try to unpack this for you. This, the best way to kind of understand the Bible is to see that it actually mirrors itself. So, in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God and righteous man are in paradise. That was God's intent paradise for you and for me. Open fellowship, no guilt, no blame, no shame, which is a big issue in our world today. You could, you could live naked and fr- wild and free, you know what I mean? And, and it, was, it was just a wonderful, perfect world. It didn't even rain. There were no storms. It was all sunny days. The ecosystem was supported by fountains from the ground. So it wasn't even rain. It was just sunny every day. How many know that's paradise, right? So, so it was perfect. It was, it was amazing. That was God's picture for humanity. But then in Genesis chapter 3, Satan enters, sin enters. Man is tempted. Genesis 3 through chapter 5. You can read the story there. You know, Eve eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then gives it to Adam. Adam the doofus goes along with it instead of leading. And then 
that basically sin enters, and as a result, we are all uh, sons of Adam and Eve, and so therefore we've inherited that sinful nature from original sin. And so sin enters, and it creates a big problem for us in Genesis chapter 3 through 5. As a result of sin entering, there was now separation. Sin always brings separation. Sin equals separation. As a result, there's a gap now of fellowship between God and man because that which is unholy because of sin can never be near that which is holy. Is everybody tracking with me? And so this separation creates a big, big problem and, 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 and chaos comes. Whenever there is sin and separation, chaos comes. If there's chaos in your life, it's usually an indicator of the fruit of sin. So if you, want to know, if you want to know if you're in sin, if there's chaos all around you, there's some sort of sin. You say, well, I'm not doing anything blatant. Well, it's different types of sin. There can be just unbelief is a sin. It can be neglect could be a sin. There's sins of, we can talk about this another time, omission, commission, we'll do that another time. But, but the fruit of your life, that's what the fruit of the world was. It was sin. Sin came into the world, and as a result, God said, i got to start over, do over. Uh, he judges the world. It's destroyed uh, through a flood. And God decides, I'm going to repopulate the earth. I'm going to start over through the only person I could find, only one man. He always does something through one person. It's amazing how one person can make a difference. But God does an amazing thing. And through Noah, who was the only one who found, God found favor with, he decides to start over with the whole earth. But that doesn't work. He fails again. Man goes right back to his sinful nature. There was no way to reconcile sin, really deal with this nature issue. Man decides to go his own way once again and create a one-world government system. Basically, we don't need God. We're okay without him. We're, gonna, we're large and in charge. We're going to take this thing to the heavens. God doesn't need to do it for us. We're going to get to God all by ourselves. And in Genesis 10 and 11, you see the story of the Tower of Babel. This is an amazing story. Man uh, has this goal, this ambition with one language and one goal. There's basically nothing they couldn't do, but it wasn't a holy ambition. It was a selfish ambition. God looks from heaven, decides to confuse their language, and as a result of confused language, all the nations of the earth, as a result, were formed. And you see all over the earth, different languages and different nations were formed. God says, I'm going to fix that. And so then he raises up one people of all the nations of the earth, of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's holy people. And he brings certain ordinances and protocols and practices to help reconcile man to God and help him live successfully on the earth. And it was kind of uh, these external uh, um, behaviors that you could do to make things right, but man couldn't do it. Because everything in the Old Testament is about external. Therefore, everything in the New Testament, which is a new deal, a better covenant, is going to be all about what? The internal. The internal. So we'll get to that. So man fails. And as a result, we need a rescue. We need a new deal. We need somebody to fix this whole problem. Drum roll, please. Who is the one that could fix it? Jesus Christ comes on the scene. Come on, somebody. He's the answer. He's the hope of the world. He's the center of this whole story. He's actually in every single one of these elements. It's leading up to this, rec this uh, revelation that we cannot reconcile ourselves to God. Only uh, one man can do this, the mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2.5, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and basically he makes a way for us to be back in right standing with God and reconcile back to God. God, and then he helps us spread this thing through the church. Instead of doing it through 12 tribes, he does it through 12 disciples. Instead of Israel, now God's people are the church, God's holy people. Is everybody tracking with me? 
And so this is where we are right now in human history. This is the church. And God's trying to, try, trying to establish uh, uh, his, his will on the earth. The church is the hope of the world. But many people are rejecting the plan of God. And, and, and there was a day, uh, even just a generation ago, where the word was, was seen and exalted as authority. Now it's being uh, undermined and discredited and minimized. And it's a book of fairy tales. And God, God's really up to that. And we don't even know what he's up to. And as a result, man's going his own way again. And we're moving towards, once again, the one world government system we had in the Old Testament, we're getting ready to do it again in the New Testament. And this has been prophesied in the book of Revelation that this would happen. And basically you see uh, all these things happening in our world today with Russia coming into the Middle East as prophesied and all the alignment. And, and the person that's going to come, a man God, to bring order to this world is the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to come on the earth and attempt to bring a one-world system, one-world government system, and bring order. And he's not going to do it through one language. He's going to do it through one currency. And so he's going to create a financial system whereby for you and I to purchase, buy, or sell, we're going to have to take upon us the mark of the beast on the palm of our hand or on our forehead. And so if we're going through a Walmart, we're going to have to go, beep. I just needed to give you guys a little levity there, okay? That's what it, that will be like. But we believe the church of Jesus Christ, the remnant, his bride, those who have Jesus in their hearts, not on tablets of stone, but written upon their hearts, are going to go up on the first elevator before that happens. Amen. Come on, somebody. And we will not suffer the judgment or destruction that's coming upon the earth. In fact, uh, this is where the great battle of Armageddon will take place and, and, and where God is going to not hear God uh, purified the planet with water. And here, the scriptures tells us he will purify the planet with fire because he's, it's going to be a refining fire. And, and so he's getting the world back ready again for, for that which was taken away here to be restored here where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But before he does that, he's going to deal with this old dragon, Satan, who's been allowed, permitted for a season to run loose. But he will be thrown, hurled, uh, not from heaven to earth, but from, from earth into a lake of fire, to a pit. And he will be restrained and sin will exit the scene at that particular time and then God and his church will come to earth and God not in righteous man but God and now a redeemed man will be back in paradise here on earth to rule and reign with God forever amen isn't that awesome that's the Bible in 40 minutes okay <laughs> now paradise some of us don't even realize what that means I think sometimes we forget that paradise, a word for paradise translated is the word resort. I mean, who doesn't want that? All right? Sometimes I think we think, you know, going to heaven, being in paradise with God is going to be, you know, like singing in the choir 24-7, you know what I mean, in robes. I hate robes. Like we're going to be floating around in the clouds, you know, like haunting people. Hey, man. You know what I mean? No, paradise, you guys. And when you understand what heaven is all about and paradise is all about, you're going to want to go there. You know, we, we talk about this, you know, uh, we talk about heaven as the afterlife. Like that, well, we're going to be going to the afterlife. Like, this is life. This is the before life. That's life. Heaven is life. Par that's good preaching. You guys are not getting what I'm saying. This is the before life. That's really life right here. 
okay? It's not the afterlife. That's real life. And we're going to be able to go there if we are in fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've accepted the story. And we've been convinced by all that man has tried to do and all that we've tried to do that the only rescue is Jesus Christ for our life. Amen? Amen. So here, fill this, fill this in. So a couple more points and I'm done. What's the subject of the Bible? Now, some of you might think right away, I'm the subject of the Bible. We are the subject of the Bible. And I would just say to you, no, we're not. We're, we're really the object of the Bible. But the subject is Jesus Christ. The subject is Jesus Christ. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and glory forever and ever. Amen. The subject is Jesus. Every single book in the Bible testifies about Jesus. I wish I had time to tell you. In Genesis, he's the breath of life. In Leviticus, the Passover lamb. In Exodus, he's our high priest. Every single book in the Bible testifies about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the subject. We are the object of his affection, of his mission, and of his assignment. This is so important. In John chapter 5, verse 39, the, the religious people didn't get it, and it's so important that you get it and you not be like them. Jesus is talking to the religious, and he says this in verse 39, you search the scriptures. And by the way, when he's saying this, they didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament, the law. And so he says, you're searching the law because you think they will give you eternal life by keeping the law, by keeping the law. It's going to make you okay with God. But he says, and he's talking to them, and I bet he was pointing a finger because that's what I would have done. He says, but the scriptures, they point to me. He's basically saying, all that you studied, you're missing it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So why is this important? Because if you want to understand the Bible, anytime you're reading Old Testament, New Testament, find Jesus. Find Jesus in the scriptures. Look for Jesus because he's in those. When you read the Bible, look for him. He's there. The Old Testament has these concealed and these contained truths that because of Jesus in the New Testament are explained and revealed. And then you go back and you're like, oh, 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 revelation, 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 revelation. It's all over the place in the Bible. It will blow your mind. So the subject is Jesus. The object is us. Then what is the verb? Naturally, we always think the verb has to be love. The verb has to be love. Well, love is a foundation. Love is a motivation, but that's not, that's not the verb. That's not the verb. The verb is that he gave his love. The verb is he gave his love. Look at this in John 3.16, the most popular verse in all of human history. It says, for God so loved the world, he what? He what? He gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God the Father gave his son. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us by giving us his son. And the son gave his life willingly as well. Father and son both loved you and me so much. He gave. He gave. It was an extravagant gift. Nobody signs up for this gift. He was slaughtered. And his father watched him. Because of love. He gave that kind of love. If the verb of the Bible is what he gave, then that's not only what we are to receive, but that is what we are also supposed to what? We're also supposed to give. This is not in your notes, but 1 John 3.16. It's such an incredible verse, but it says, it says this. It says, we know what real love is now because Jesus gave up his life for us. So this is what we ought to do. We ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
So listen, coming to connect, it's, I want, I'd love for you to join our church if you're not a part of our church family. We want you to have a family. I want you to get in small. I love, I'd love for you to do that. I want you to be a believer. But that's really not what the whole Bible's about. The whole Bible is Jesus Christ gave, and now he wants the church of Jesus Christ to give as well. So that everybody that we know can be here in paradise one day and miss out on all of this junk in the middle. Is everybody tracking with me? We exist to give. We exist to give. Would you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Did we get someone out of studying the Bible today and understanding the Bible? Anybody? <laughs> I hope so. You guys are the best seminary students ever. If you would be very still, though, seriously, because some people are getting it and some people are just enjoying it. If you would close your eyes and just bow your heads for a second. I have a sincere prayer for two groups of people as we're here. This is my prayer. Every head bowed. Lord, I just... God, I want every person in this room to know you better. And for them to know you better, to get closer to you, they've got to get closer to their Bibles. Their Bibles. My Bible. I pray that your word would come alive and they would understand it more than they ever have. God, I lift up this church to you, Connect Community Church, that I, that I deeply love so much, Lord. And, and I know they're going to face some things and are facing some things that they don't know how to handle and don't think they can handle. But, Lord, I know if our life is built on your word, we can overcome anything that we are facing in this world. And whatever we're facing in this world, we have the hope. We have the blessed hope that one day we'll be with God eternally in paradise if we continue to fellowship with you and stand on the confession of our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that house will never fail. Lord, I pray that this church would, would just be committed to giving because God gave us so much. That the secret sauce to life is not receive, receive, receive. The secret sauce to life is to give. This then is the, it, it, this is what this is what love really is, it says in 1 John 3. Lord, help us as a church with that. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today and and you feel that gap that I was talking about. In other words, nobody has to tell you it. You know it. There's a distance between you and God. Just there's this, there's this distance. And as a result of that distance, there's chaos. All different types of chaos. I'm just telling you, 1 Timothy 2.5 says that's why Jesus came to mediate that, to make a bridge between you and God so that that chaos can be dealt with, so he can obliterate the chaos in your life, the confusion in your life, and bring contentment and, and, bring, and, and take away the confusion and bring peace and, and, and whatever is broken to be healed and to be mended. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He will destroy the barrier between you and God. That wall of hostility from chaos can only be made possible if you'll come, have a come to Jesus meeting this morning and say Jesus I need you in my life and I don't want to go another day without you in my life and if that's you today and he's knocking on your heart I'm just going to ask you not to come down front or embarrass you but I'm going to ask you to boldly strong just raise your hand good and high and say pastor I want that I don't want to leave today without that assurance or that confidence thank you thank you thank you don't miss it good and high so that, so that Jesus can see and I can see thank you that's awesome that's awesome you can put your hands down that's great Church, would you pray this prayer? And those that, those that uh, raised your hand, would you say this prayer out loud too, this confession? Say, Jesus, I can't do it without you. Your word says apart from you, I can do nothing. I confess that. I need you in my life, every day of my life. I need your word, and I need to follow your ways. But I ask that you come into my heart, and that you not come just into my mind, the outside but the inside. May this be an internal work 
that affects every external work in and through my life in Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray from the confession of your fa- their faith that you would save them, that you would do something that's on the inside of them that's transformative, that they would know it, that when they walk out of here today, they know something happened from the inside out. Lord, you are writing a new covenant on their heart, a new deal. They're starting fresh. They're a new creation in Christ Jesus because of his word that's hidden in their heart. They won't sin against you. And all the church, Lord, continues to give, and all the church continues to rejoice for every single person that makes a decision like that. Eternity has changed for them and we all shout unto God. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise and thank Him for His Word. God bless you guys. Have a great morning.